There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and Lee Boy Allen. Guys, keep calm and read your tickets. We're using the Anna Karenina method here. Hello, welcome to a bonus Books Boys episode. I'm Dean and I'm joined by the author Tom Weaver. And we're here to talk about his amazing book, Artificial Wisdom. Tom, hello. Hello, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show. And thank You're you for um, the book. We, we've got a nice copy here. I've read it and I absolutely love it. But I want to ask you, before I talk about the plot or anything like that, the book comes with a few little um, inserts, little kind of gifts. Do you want to tell hmm. us about that? Yeah, this is something special we've been doing for some of the advanced readers. Um, we wanted to create uh, something that was an experience that kind of went beyond the book. So we went through and we found things within the book that uh, that could maybe be tied into little little goodies. Uh, for example, you know, one of the characters drinks a lot of coffee, so you know, we put in a very nice uh, organic, eco friendly coffee bag uh, for our readers to enjoy. Um, similarly. Uh, we link to some digital content that isn't in the book because mm-hmm. I have this kind of idea that really, you know, books should exist beyond the pages. There should yeah. be this sense that there is this world outside of them. And, and we've been slowly creating, you know, a little podcast episode with the with the protagonist set, you know, 30 years from now, for example, and, and some other bits and pieces, just trying to, to make it flow off the page mm-hmm. and, and give people that enjoy the book the chance to go and discover a little bit more. Yeah, it's good to because you're very the book itself is very good with world building anyway, and you create this nice experience. But then when you add in these little extra things, it just makes it all feel bigger. You know, like there's more going on. It's not just okay. I read these few pages, I'm done. You know, and I think that's really good. Uh, there is a little piece of chocolate in there, and I've been kind of telling myself, do not eat the chocolate until you do the interview. So now I can eat the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the, the chocolate's actually been the the, the the more controversial one as far as I've seen it. Like oh. it's one of the it's vegan chocolate, um, and I I've seen some people refer to it as interesting, which my wife would usually use as code for uh, not great. Didn't like that very much, <laughs> but you know I, I've also seen somebody somebody say that this morning it was fantastic. So who just okay. knows? You know, have to let us know. I will. Uh, I'll be trying it as soon as we finish the recording, probably when I get my cup of tea later. Um, well, look, thanks so much for joining us. Um, how long did it take you to write this book? It feels like there was, you know, it's not just you sat down and wrote whatever came out. There's a lot of ideas would have had to be constructed, I guess, to build this world. Yeah, I think um, alongside many new debut writers, I started writing in 2020. Um, I was 
in the fortunate position of um, of actually having sold my my tech startup um, kind of just before the pandemic and managed to to essentially exit. So I, I did actually have some time to myself, to, time to think. Um, one of the things I discovered almost immediately was that when you suddenly have time to think, your brain goes kind of bonkers with all these worries that you've actually got time to, to delve into now. Um, and in a way, writing this was my therapy. So I started it in 2020. I probably had a, a finished draft maybe by 2022, mid-2022. Um, and then it's amazing just how much tweaking and refinement goes mm. on even after that point, right up to literally the the, the going to print. You know, the, we'd gone to the audiobook narrator and the narrator had recorded an incredible audiobook, but had come up with some suggested changes during that process. And mm. we were able to tie them in just before it went to print. But it it's literally tweaking uh, commas and and. And even a, one word in the in the opening paragraph changed, you know, right up to the last minute. Yeah. So these things take time. Sure, of course, of course. Um, tell me about the title, artificial wisdom. So, I mean, what we have in the book, and I guess it, we're living in a in a future, and of course, we have an AI, essentially an artelect, um, Solomon, who mm-hmm. is one of the candidates to be dictator. And the title gets explained a little bit as the book goes on, because I guess it's the difference between. Um, intelligence and wisdom right would you say that i mean obviously you've you've chosen the title very carefully how did that kind of come about i think i knew very very early on that um you know obviously i wanted to write about artificial intelligence in a different way i didn't want to write the terminator it's already been done yeah there's millions of stories of, of bad ai um and um i had this idea that actually if we are trying to solve some of the biggest crises out there of humanity today of, of which the biggest is climate change ai is going to be a very powerful tool to do that but our worries about ai are that it will supplant us as human beings that essentially it would do exactly what we would do if we suddenly found ourselves at the, the top of any food chain which is we would stamp out everything beneath it um and yet um, you know, if we were actually to put AI in in charge of trying to save us in some way, which is mm. essentially one of the, these ideas that I explore in the novel, we would need to make sure it is fundamentally people-centered, which is why I came up with the idea that the, the AI is called Solomon. Obviously, that relates back to uh, King Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon, um, you know, and, and his very famous story about, uh, you know, uh, I won't bother repeating here, everybody probably knows it, but um, this idea that actually he wasn't just a smart guy, he was a wise guy. Mm-hmm. What did that mean? It meant he was able to make decisions um, which were about humanity um, mm-hmm. and our humanity at the centre of it. And I kind of feel like if we are to use AI as a tool in our future, we're going to need a, a touch of that as well. We're going to need it to understand um, a little bit more about who we are. And it, it can't be a cold thing. It has to be a people-centred thing. Yeah. It's interesting as well because... I guess the campaign of Lockwood, his rival for the dictatorship, wants to say really only a human can solve a human problem. And when I kind of thought about the difference between intelligence and wisdom, and I kind of thought, you know, intelligence is something that you can you can study, you can learn, you can read a book, but wisdom is more you have to have lived experience. And I guess that's kind of the argument that that Lockwood's camp would make, something like, well, we we're actually human, we we understand the issues more. But Solomon's not a very simple being, you know, and he's been programmed by Martha to be really quite sophisticated and quite complex and even to feel emotion. And I suppose once he's able to do that, then you can argue that he actually is capable of wisdom and not just learning, you know? And I think that's 
very important. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it, you, you can make arguments for both sides. Uh, and, and that was actually, of course, very deliberate. You know, I, I actually yeah. want people to be, uh, to, to actually get to the end and have a big argument over this as to what they think is the right, you know, who, who would actually be the right course for us are we um are we destined to uh, put our future in ai's hands because it will do it the job better or are we better to to uh to stay sure and as some would put it and, and make sure that we're only ever governed by the humans um so yeah i, I you know i think uh i think for me to make Solomon wise required this idea of emotions because mm. you have to experience emotions to, to understand humanity. The funny thing is, I'm, I'm a big technophobe. So when I started reading the book, initially, I'm like, oh, it's a futuristic dystopia. It's terrible. But then as I'm reading on, I'm like, oh, it's not really. I mean, there's like, oh, the, the climate disaster and everything. Sure. But I'm like, oh, they can fix this. It's not, you know, this isn't a, in 1984 or something. This isn't necessarily a dystopia. This can be a good place to live if they can get good leadership and fix the problems. And then I'm thinking about it more and more, and I'm thinking, could Solomon do a better job than a human dictator or even just than any government? And it's easy to say, no, we shouldn't let the machines do it. And so, well, we've had, you know, many thousands of years of human history, and I don't think humans have done a good job up until now, so maybe let the AI try <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I've definitely had some people come down very clearly on the on the on the side of Solomon. I'm um, saying, you know, like we would we we fundamentally get this. Like, uh, I think there's there's so much happening in our world right now and today that is scary. And um, and sometimes you kind of look at all the problems out there and think, how in the midst of all of the big challenges that we have, are we are we facing you know war on one hand? Uh, you know, human instigated fights over territory, which, uh, you know, you would think just wouldn't be a 21st century issue um, and uh, denial of the big issues. I mean, uh, how do you even begin to cope with that? So much of our issues kind of come back to our flawed nature as human beings and the fact that we can't really uh, figure all this out together. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've definitely seen some people come come down on the side of saying, you know what, let's give, let's give something else a try. Yeah, I mean, humans are very flawed. We're just animals at the end of the day so i think people have very high expectations for us we consistently let ourselves down and i'm like yeah that that is exactly what i would expect us to do so yeah give give something else a try what do you yeah. so there's also an element of the book that's kind of i don't want to give away too many you know plot points um but the, I, I guess we can say that martha the creator of Solomon is killed. And I'll probably not go beyond that point in terms of the plot of the book. Um, mm. But that kind of creates um, essentially a murder mystery vibe. There's a detective vibe. There's like an almost like the Christie closed room vibe because we knew it had to be one of the people at the party who did it. So then you get this kind of like, okay, this whodunit um, thing going in. Is that mm. was like that something that you wanted to do? Did you want to like write a whodunit at some point and you combined it in or did it, the story just took you that way? Uh, I, I would definitely say I wanted to write a whodunit. Um, and in fact, I've been reading a load of Agatha Christie kind of before even starting this and thinking um, just how how wonderful those stories are, yeah. you know. And, and you know, I, I, when I read an Agatha Christie, I sit there with a notebook and I try and figure out um, yeah. who it is. And, and, and then I'm, I'm always surprised at the end. Um, and I very much wanted to create that experience, but it occurred to me um, that 
you know, when you get into 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 the future, it's so hard to create a locked room or a closed door mystery or any of these kind of things mm. because technology fundamentally gets in the way. You, they often say that um, you know a lot of the great kind of murder mystery books are set before mobile phones because mobile phones kind of get in the way of trying to solve some of these things. So I was intrigued by the challenge of trying to set something um, mm. in a world that was even more tech heavy than we have now. Um, and I would say I, I kind of had these two starting points of I wanted to tell a story about what would happen if the world was splitting apart in Brexit style polarization, you know, and what would happen yeah. if, um, you know, in that scenario, how do we solve the climate? But I was also really intrigued by this idea of a murder mystery. So I, I, I did see it as a little bit of an onion that there was a, a murder mystery at the core, but the, the, the broader tech around the outside and i think a model for that a great you know one of the greatest books that does this um is uh, the gold dragon tattoo mm. um gold dragon tattoo is fundamentally a murder mystery and it's trying to solve a what is it a you know 40 year old crime um you know and around that there is this idea of a thriller um you know the people you know being in jeopardy and and dealing with the issues that crop up in the course of trying to solve that so um, that was definitely an inspiration point for me. I mean, I couldn't do anything similar to, to what he was doing there, and it, it wouldn't fit my mm. kind of story anyway. But this idea of a of a murder mystery buried within a thriller, I think, was established by Dragon Tattoo first. Nice. And it, it sounds very well here because I mean, I'm a big Agatha Christie fan. I think I've got 70 Agatha Christie books on my shelf. There's there's wow. a few missing. She wrote 80 or something. So there's a few missing, but I've got almost all of them. Um, and I, you know, I never predict who it is either. Um, but I, this didn't. Well, I, well so I have. So I, ha- I have to ask then. Did you? Did you actually figure out this one out? I thought I did, um, but then no, because without giving anything away, there are twists at the end. So initially, I'm thinking, okay, it's Lockwood. He's the bad guy. That I'm thinking, is it possible that it's Solomon? It's all been a ruse. But then there's like kind of intrigue and ruse on top of intrigue and ruse at the end. And then I, I didn't know where it was going. Um, yeah. So I, I think I got one or two points but i didn't i didn't get the whole thing good as a if, if, got... I, if i've managed if i've managed to sneak <laughs> one past the nagatha christie aficionado then then i've done my yeah. job what do you think about this idea of um so they're electing the dictator and the first thing i noticed when i pick up the book is i've got a bookmark that says you know solomon for dictator and i, I misread yeah. it at first i assumed it said yeah. solomon for president and my brain just kind of tricked me and i looked at it again i was like hold on that says dictator i was like okay this is not what i thought mm-hmm. um and it's based on obviously this roman idea of like electing one person to just solve the problems um and i mean i studied roman history in university so i know that that's realistic to the point where it happened but how realistic do you think it is that that could happen again like the premise of the book is essentially we need a global dictator to just you know cut the red tape cut the bureaucracy cut the communication issues and just get down to it and and fix things. Do you think that could or would happen? So um, I think that we, you know, the, the job of every author is almost to, to tell uh, people the future that could happen if they don't sort stuff out now, right? It's it's always the paint like scenarios of, yeah. look, if you don't, if you don't <laughs> deal with this, this is, this is what's going to happen. Um I think the Roman dictatorship was a really interesting idea. And obviously the word itself has, has, has warped and changed and, mm. and is now a very negative word. And, and uh, 
we had a lot of to and fro with different editors over, over the word dictator mm. and whether it should even be called a dictator because of the negative connotation. But yeah. I but I do think it expressed in the, in the Roman sense exactly this idea, as you say, of um, of of being given power of solving a crisis, and then what you're meant to do is hand power back. But I also like that again with the Romans, this happened. You had multiple dictators who did this until you had the one that didn't. Um, and then, uh, and even the one before that, you know, so, so obviously Caesar didn't yeah. hand back power, but even Sulla, he handed back power, but he did it after an incredible bloodbath where he wiped out pretty much anybody that he viewed as on the other side. So I think if we're in that situation, we have to face up to the fact that we don't know what kind of dictator we would get. Mm. Like we might get a dictator who solves the crisis and hands power back. We might get a dictator who doesn't. Um, I don't think we really want to be there, but I do think that we ultimately are on a course where this um this problem the climate which is a incredibly complex connected crisis it can't be solved by one country or yeah. one corporation or one thing and um and so you're going to have these forces that are working against each other and ultimately not making the hard decisions because it's impossible yeah. to when you've got to have an election in a few years' time. Um, and if we continue on the course we're on, we're going to have to make some decisions which are going to be terrible. And we might not be able to make them. I think that's the point I was trying to get to. Yeah, Unless yeah. you did elect somebody who just had a mandate and it wasn't about being elected again, it was about solving the crisis. Um, you know, and I, I, I genuinely think that. I mean, God knows what. I I can't see ourselves ever getting in a position where we would we would do it. But I think it might it might be the only actual course of action at some point. Yeah, we could at least come to a time where it's the only way to fix things. Whether we take that option or not, I suppose we we'll wait and see. Yeah. Um, and essentially, there is this climate crisis, and that's what they have to deal with. Um, there's also so essentially we've got we've got our chap Tully, who's a, a reporter, a journalist. And um, he hears from very adequately named character Whistle, who's a kind of whistleblower, telling him, "Well, we've we've got this um, information, and you know, you're a person who could write a story about it." But lures him in with this idea that I've also got some information about this climate catastrophe that happened, and your wife dies in that catastrophe. So I let it slip by me, but I should have maybe been a little bit more careful to realize Tully could be played because obviously. You've you've gone straight for the heartstrings there by saying we might be able to help you with figure out who who killed your wife or who was responsible for the disaster that killed your wife, and maybe he's more easily manipulated than than I at first thought because I'm thinking well he's pursuing the story that's what a journalist should do so we'll just let that go you know, um, but he travels to uh, New Carthage he meets Commander October and off they go trying to solve the crime. The New Carthage stuff is very interesting, though. These floating cities, I think there's more. New Carthage, Troy, Babylon, I think, was another. Are you just an ancient history fan, or what was the naming reasons for those? Yeah, well, uh, sorry, six uh, six ancient cities which no longer exist, um, you know, and, and this idea of New Carthage, you know, New Troy, uh, multiple city-states, um, this idea of floating cities, uh, which ultimately, I think, again, we may find ourselves doing... Uh, I've seen some wonderful ideas around it over over the years, but mm. um, you know, I, I think the uh, 
I, I deliberately tried to create a setting here which was which was interesting and controversial you know this idea that actually we might have these incredible havens from the bad weather out there but you know it might only be open to those who can afford to live there um and so that that was something i really wanted to to explore and figure out you know but i i'd had this idea of this floating city in my head for a good 20 years right uh, figuring out trying to figure out how i was going to use it in a story at some stage mm-hmm. or another and it just you know it was just one of those things when i was trying to write the book i was like okay i'm gonna kind of use that one yeah yeah it, it, I mean, it, it fits beautifully i almost think the book would be strange without it i mean i suppose you could put it somewhere else but it, it fits really nicely and of course the rules are slightly different there and the you know, some of the, the policing procedures and things aren't necessarily what Tully's used to. And they've already got Solomon as the leader there in New Carthage. So they've tried mm-hmm. having him as a governor. And now we want to see, could we have him replicate that on a, on a global scale, basically? Um, but it's kind of tried and true that he's doing the job already as a governor, you know, and yeah. that's an it. Because it would be harder to justify if he'd never done it before. Yeah, I had a, a very much a model in my head um, of kind of Singapore. Uh, here, mm. you know, I think um, you know Singapore. If, if you look at it on any chart, is you know, at the at the top and and to the right. It is um, it is wealthy, it is successful, it is safe, um, but it is essentially a I'll say dictatorship very carefully here in a in a very positive way. Mm. Um, but but it is you know there is no real opposition to the government in power. And most people out there don't want that really mm. to be anybody else because the people in power are doing a fantastic job. Um, so I had that idea, which is why some of the laws in in New Carthage are, are quite strict because yeah. I figure you would do kind of you've got essentially an authoritarian like you you come you want to come and live here sure but um, you know it's our rules or you go somewhere else. Um, so you, if you've got that choice, you you probably do put things in place that um you know aren't dependent on um democracy in the same way that that, that we are dependent on democracy um so yeah that was that was the, the sort of genesis behind that and then yes having solomon ex- as an existing governor um not really elected he was fundamentally put in place there by the people that create these floating states and then um is nominated for the dictatorship really as a joke as a as a joke candidate um, and ends up being in the top two. And the other last thing I wanted to mention was the way you weave um, technology into the investigation because they're, okay, we, we need to review some information and they're they're using this kind of neuro-reality in this headspace and this kind of stuff. They're putting this helmet on or, or whatever it is and they're able to see things happening. And it's kind of taking all the social media and everything that we have now just into like what it probably is a realistic next sphere for it, I guess. But it was nice to see how that plays out and how it was useful to them. Yeah, I am, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a tech guy at heart. I love technology. I'm a tech optimist. I think it's probably fair mm. to say, although I also recognize that every technology we've ever had comes at some sort of cost to us. You know, yeah. mobile phones have, have connected us in a way that we've never been able to access before and, and has stolen our attention at the same time. Um, so I was very interested to explore what technology in 30 years would look like, um, but I didn't want to be faced with a Back to the Future 2-esque scenario of flying cars, um, yeah. you know, and when we reached 2050 going, well, none of this kind of, kind of came true. <laughs> I, I wanted to very much look at what technology can I actually see on the horizon today and think about 
where it might end up in 20 to 30 years time. Um, yeah. And so, you know, yes, there is the, these evolutions of things like virtual reality. I've got, you know, a neuro reality. So you're, you're essentially experiencing a full sensory environment within your head rather mm. than just having it cast into your eyes and, and your ears. Um, but I also have the, the next version of, of augmented reality, i.e. What, what Apple is bringing out now. Um, and, um, you know, and the next version of what you might say, like the Nest security cam system, you know, what does that, what does that mm-hmm. look like in, in 30 years time? Um, you know, how do you review security footage? In That's not years? terrifying. It's a small <laughs> stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's, it's invasive, but, um, it always has been, you know, I remember I was, I did computer science at university mm. back in 1999 when I was going to university, reading a book about privacy and the argument was Today, we walk down a street in 1999, and you walking down that street are seen by 400 security cameras, and this is all going to change. We're going to actually want privacy, and it's all going to be about privacy in the next 20 years. And and as it happened, we went the opposite way, and we actually d- decided to trade up pretty much all of our privacy in return for products and things to learn about us and sell us advertisements. Um, so, you know, I think there's some fundamentals there about that, you know, we're already on a path. Um, and what does that look like when you continue going down that path? Yeah, I think I think that side of things is definitely you know very realistic. So I'll let you go. Um, first of all, would you like to just plug your website or tell people where they can get the book? Sure. Uh, my website is thomasrweaver.com. Uh, if you go on there, you can see a little bit about the the book, but also see some of the extended world content. Uh, and you can buy the book at your favorite bookstore, Amazon, Waterstones, Apple, Google, your choice. Fantastic. Oh, I, I have to say, I have to say the the audio book is wonderfully narrated by Stephen Pacey, who is one of the most incredible narrators in the world. He's the guy that did the uh, the first all series Joe Abercrombie stuff, right. um, and he's just it's just unbelievable. It's just blown me away by uh, by it. So you know, if, you, if you're into audiobooks, I really recommend you check that out because he's just done the most incredible job I've ever heard. Fantastic. Well, there we go. I will close with the final question that we ask every author who falls in. If there's any existing book that you wish you'd been the person to write, what would it be? Oh, wow. That's a, it's a huge question, but the first one that comes to mind is is Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow, the, the kind of parallel novel to Ender's Game by mm-hmm. Orson Scott Card. Um, I've probably read that book and recommended that book more times um, than I dare count. Um, and what I particularly love about the, these two books, um, apart from the future that Orson Scott Card creates, is um, is really these these competitions in the battle school, this this mm. floating um, battle station that the, the these child soldiers are taken up to, um, and. Um, you know, whilst everything around that is is fantastic, everything else that happens is also fantastic. The games that they have to play against each other and that sense of of, of competition and um, a kid becoming a winner, I just think is is an eternal theme, and it's just wonderful to to see how it plays out. Uh, and, and particularly with the parallel novel Ender's Shadow, um, again, I'm, I'm back to the future fan as well. So I always like this idea of seeing kind of like is it it's not time travel in this book, but mm. you know th- that that. there's actually this interplay between what you can see in another story happening that you can't see. And then in the later book or film that you do see that story. So I I love the way that he created this parallel story that complemented Ender's game and and 
and gave it depth so that mm-hmm. you could reread it again and think about all the things that you know are now happening but you're not seeing on that page yeah that's that's a really cool um way to do it have extra information kind of coming at you later well tom thank you so much for calling in um thank you and thank you for the book it was fantastic so i, I absolutely love it i'll be recommending it to everyone that's what i like to hear have a great day thank you even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.